Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody-Mills. And... As usual, we're sad. Pretty much. That it's is the recurring theme. Really rough emotional period, like the whole time we've been doing the show. Usually it's more outrage. This week we are sad, like pretty much the whole globe yes. seems to be sad. Yeah. Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. and his 13 year old daughter, Gigi, and seven other people, including two of her teammates, and three members of one. Family, the Altabelli family, killed in a helicopter crash just a couple of days ago. And it has been profoundly sad. And I find myself glued to watching his old commercials, Mm -hmm. watching these Mamba mentality videos of him talking about his mentality, which is awesome. I didn't even know that he spoke three different languages yeah. fluently yeah i had no idea yeah. as well as all of the people that have been talking about how part of the mamba mentality was him talking with other leaders of industry and how they innovate and how they have created their businesses just to understand how he could then apply their own innovation to basketball yeah and how it fit inside of the game of basketball and i think when people pass away, for me, because I'm not an avid basketball fan, sure. but I, Kobe Bryant is was one year older than I am, mm. right? So I literally grew up with his transition from high school into the NBA. Mm-hmm. And it's always super jarring when somebody dies tragically that is in your age group, yeah. that you're just not anticipating that level of tragedy. But to see that, The whole entire world essentially stopped a couple of days ago is to recognize the impact that one person's life can have on so many different people. But all I kept thinking about and all I continue to think about since that day is his poor, poor Mm. wife. Mm, I just can't stop thinking about her and thinking about the loss of her baby and the loss of the love of her life like all in the flash of an eye like somebody that you look at and you think you have everything you know you've got three other kids yeah you have to be strong for yes you have to keep going for one of them is 17 17 
So she's got her issues as a young mm-hmm. woman. One of them is three. Is three. So we'll have very few memories of dad, has very little understanding of like what's going on. And one of them is seven months old. Yeah. So she will grow up never having known him. I definitely feel like I watched him grow up, you know, like coming out of high school, young kid, you know, NBA first gets to the playoffs and air balls in a critical situation. It was like, Psh, he's hype. He's not Jordan. Like, stop mm-hmm. it. And the work ethic and the self-belief and the focus and the dedication to stick with it and keep going and going and to become this dominant player. And truth be told, I grew up in Boston, a Celtics fan, mm. get to New York, rooted for the Knicks for a little while, and then became a little bit more of a LeBron fan. So I hated Kobe. <laughs> I, I was, you know, as a player, I was a hater. But that was out of respect and out of sports, you know, fandom. Mm-hmm. And you had to give it up because the guy was so damn good. Right? So and good. he was the one you most feared. And he clearly had a different mindset toward the game, toward himself, toward hard work, you know, than everybody else. And I think just I, to, I, yeah. I, 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 I have great respect for the person he seemed to be becoming in mm. retirement. Because the hate that I had as a player washed away when you saw the mentorship the humility, the family man, the jokester, you know, the person who really poured himself into another field, the field that I love, you know, and going into writing and trying to produce and being successful at that. And, you know, a lot of athletes really stumble on what is the second chapter of my life going to look like. And he was settling in to a really interesting and beautiful mature post-career chapter. I think there are so many players who had retired before him who had created legacies for themselves. Magic Johnson um, Mm. comes to mind, Shaquille Mm O'Neal, Jordan. Then you have others that went completely bankrupt, right? Like who couldn't handle the idea of not being in the arena anymore. And that, you know, no one really talks about the devastation when you go from having all the applause, all the attention to then silence, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's really deep. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, a lot of the things that I had been reading about him were people saying, well, they thought that he was going to fail at retirement, like he was going to be one of those guys that maybe did it for a year and then he tried to come back or, you know, something. But like you said, he said, no, I'm going to be a storyteller. No, I'm going to transition into my life. And I think that that's what's so sad about this moment, because you think about 20 years of him playing, 20 years of him being married, right? 20 years of being on the road, right? Being away from your wife, being away from your kids and thinking that finally here he is and here she is young with their young family, getting ready to like transition into this, you know, beautiful life together after sacrificing so much. And I know that many people will heal the word sacrifice and they'll think, well, multimillionaires and all these things, but Mm. it's still sacrifice, right? Like you sacrifice when you work that hard. And so I think that as I look at all the pictures and this beautiful pictures of him and his daughter, you know, on the sidelines and him coaching her, Mm. like as they're watching the games, you know, and 
I mean, just the excitement that he had watching her and then the side-by-side pictures of them that people are posting. I mean, the same mannerisms, the same shot, the same, like, it just was so beautiful. One of the last things that I saw this week, too, was that he trademarked Mambasita, like, literally, like, two weeks ago. Because he was he wa- he knew that she was going to be his legacy, and mm. so here we're gonna go with the next you know iteration of of the legend of Kobe. The videos of Gigi playing, so good with the beautiful form that clearly he's teaching and she's listening, right? And to get your kids to listen to you <laughs> is not easy, and quite often they say I'm gonna do something totally different to differentiate myself. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But here's a situation where the kid was like, I like what you like and I'm going to listen to you. Yeah. And I mean, the form is so beautiful and it's so like his. And it's like, wow, he was really able to pour the technique into her and she was able to absorb it. And not even just at a at a right hand curls in the right way level, but on the Knuckleheads podcast, which I love. They talked to him about teaching his daughter's basketball team the triangle, right? Mm-hmm. And they're, like, absorbing that. And, like, so he's just approaching it with them in this very high level and a technique level. And it's just really beautiful to see all that. I mean, the the video where they're playing, it looks like in his home right. gym. Uh, yep. And he D's right up on her, like, right, like, like, like chest to her shoulder. And she shoves him off and knocks down the J, and it's like, oh my god, I want to cry. Like it's just, yeah, oh, it's so beautiful. It's really beautiful, and I, I don't know. I, I like I always say to folks, I'm not a person of faith at all. I'm an agnostic at best, I would say. But you know, I understand why in these like grave moments that people turn to faith, because mm. it's like, what else do you have? And the only thing, the only thing that I've been able to wrap my mind around is that. He loved her so much, right? Like his little daughter and the the thought that they were together, like just gives me like a little bit, little tiny bit of comfort that neither one of them were alone. Like you will remember them always fused together, right? And I think that that's, I, that's something to me is really beautiful about that. I don't know how people wrap, especially his wife, Vanessa, I don't know how their family, how their close friends, how people wrap their minds around it. But the one thing that I will say about the way in which fucking media failed Mm -mm. this past weekend, Mm -mm. the way that, I mean, some of the most reputable outlets to some of the trashiest ones, they all fucking failed. They failed so much in the chase to be first that they did not give a shit about whether or not they were going to be right. That family should have never found out on TMZ. They should have never accidentally said that somebody was in the plane that wasn't, and his family thought that he was dead, right, until they could get in touch with him. I mean, there was just so much. There's so much wrong with the way that information spreads these days, like a virus. False information spreads like a virus, that we really need to pull ourselves back from the edge that we find ourselves on. I was listening to ABC when the reporter said his four children were on the plane. And I was like, whoa. And at that point, we thought it was five people on the plane. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
Well, that would mean that he's flying the plane mm-hmm. by that logic. And immediately it was like, that can't be true. But it was like, he, he didn't even like report it like we can confirm, we've heard this. He just sort of like surmised like there was five people and he's on, there was four children. And I'm like, it was almost breezy in the way that he just sort of slipped it in. And I know that sent shockwaves through everybody who was listening to the story and trying to consume all the information and really deeply invested, emotionally invested in the situation. And it caused a level of pain and fear and anguish to think about that. The whole of the reporting process that happened was so unnecessary, right? Like there are times when you need to say, we don't have all of the information, but what we can report is that a helicopter has gone down. Once we have more information, we will be the first to bring it to you after it is confirmed. How do you have TMZ and others reporting before the fucking coroner and the police have even gotten to the fucking crash site? Well, but TMZ clearly wants to have that reputation of being first, and there's been many, many situations when they were first, and... They clearly have staked out that reputation, and whoever's toes they have to step on to get there, be damned. Yeah. I just, I want the media to do better. I I really do. I think that they have a responsibility to do better, not just as we talk about politics and the euphemisms that they use for lying and the things that they overlook in this administration, but in moments of tragedy and great grief like this, they do more harm than good. And in this particular moment, I just I was looking at the television. I'm looking at Twitter. I'm, you know, listening to all the reports and reading. And I'm just thinking to myself, if I am feeling this sad, I don't even know this man. I don't even know these people. I can only imagine. I can't even wrap my mind around what his family, friends, the Lakers that are flying in and all of a sudden all their phones start buzzing on the part. They're on a six-hour flight back to L.A. You know, like it's just, and the camera's in the face. And the last thing I will say, too, is this desire from fans, from social media, that if these celebrities don't come out right away and post a picture and have these really in-depth things to say, then all of a sudden they didn't care. Mm -hmm. And, you know, LeBron James posts like maybe a day and a half after he finds out that one of his best friends and his niece is dead. And he has to he begins out by saying that he's sorry that he took so long, but he doesn't have the words. I'm like, my God. Let people fucking take a breath. Just today, it's like, oh, Vanessa breaks her silence. Breaks her silence? She (laughs) lost half of her fucking family. Two days ago. Breaks her silence? Jesus Jesus Christ. (sighs) Anyway. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign 
as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm just so fucking no, over. I'm just you. like it. Just drives me. It, it, it just drives me crazy. It, it just it drives me crazy. No, it does, and it it shows how pervasive the issue is that we had to take this moment to grieve on yeah. this show, which has not been about this sort of thing, sports, right. culture at all. But this is such a gigantic issue that we had to just sort of Let emote on this for a moment. What we had planned to talk about, yes. From last week, 180-degree turn. And it's been so <laughs> rare that I've been able to say right after the taping, okay, next week we're going to talk about this. Right. And it, like, holds up. And some other news story doesn't come and, like, knock it off. But we are getting close to Iowa. I mean, dangerously close. Dangerously close. Mm-hmm. And By the time that we do our next show, Iowa it will have already happened. happened. Iowa will have already happened. The preseason is almost over. It's like Christmas Eve for Politico. Iowa Eve. What is the reverse of that? Bernie (laughs) Sanders is leading in Iowa. He is leading in New Hampshire. Yeah. Leading in California. Mm -hmm. He is trending upward at the right moment. Elizabeth Warren, who has been his compatriot in the super progressive lane is falling down which suggests to me that her support is going over to him some of the other smaller people who are fading away their support is going to bernie so he is rising up following what kobe would say we cannot think about the end of the game when we have an early lead Mm -hmm. however the potential for bernie to win Mm. seems more possible than it did six months ago. Mm-hmm. And when you see polling that says Bernie head-to-head with Trump greater than even Biden, the ridiculous electability myth that Joe Biden has been selling and Biden supporters have been selling, that is dead. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the idea of Bernie as a leading campaign. He's not leading nationally. Right. But he could be able to put together a run that puts Biden on his heels. And in the Democratic primary, it is rare for the January polling leader to end up winning. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it's a sitting vice president. Joe Biden is not a sitting vice president. No. I amend that. A sitting vice president or Hillary Clinton. Okay. Right. Joe Biden is neither of those things. Mm-hmm. I, for one would be very excited to pull a lever for Bernie Sanders, and I would be 
very confident that he could beat Donald Trump. And I'd be much happier doing that than being asked to pull a lever for Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg or Michael Bloomberg or anybody else except for Elizabeth Warren. Okay. So it's no secret about how I feel about Bernie Sanders. Am I surprised that he's where he is in the polling right now? Kind of. I really thought that essentially his lack of understanding of oppressive systems outside of the economic system, not understanding race. I felt like the fact that he's been in the Senate for 30 plus years hasn't really done much. I am not excited by him because I feel like I've been going through some of the you know recent reporting and people bringing up questions that were asked at the debates about you know the deaths of transgender women of color for instance came up PBS's Yamish Alexander asked that question what would you do as president right and he essentially you know this is the man that following 2016 told us that the reason why Hillary Clinton lost was because of identity politics right so he's being asked a very direct identity question about the fact that transgender women of color are being murdered at a very high rate in this country. And his response essentially was to the effect that that's unfortunate. But, you know, what's really important is that everyone have access to health care and then goes on to, like, do this pivot. Whereas Elizabeth Warren was asked the same question. She does a deep dive directly into identity politics and talks about the fact that we have to address this problem. Transgender people, especially trans women of color, are under attack in this country. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to read their names in the Rose Garden, you know, every day until we do something about it. Like there was no pivot. Right. She deep dived in. And my thing with Bernie Sanders is that he oftentimes offers these pivots to go back to what it is that he's comfortable in, which is talking about democratic socialism as it pertains to our capitalist structure. That's it, right? And so because you have no framework of anything else or no ability to want to bend or amend any of your ideas, like, would I be excited to pull the lever for him? Fuck no, I I wouldn't. But would I pull the lever for him? Yes, of course I'm going to. I mean, if your point is, you know, Elizabeth Warren would be great, of course I'm with you. But that opportunity right now seems to be slipping away a little bit. And when I say, well, what if it was Bernie? Extraordinarily intelligent, authentic, somebody who clearly knows Washington very deeply, unlike the current occupant, somebody who is deeply concerned about income inequality and the working class, someone who is deeply concerned about the climate, about health care, about doing things for the next generation in terms of student debt, mm-hmm. in terms of minimum wage, in terms of immigration, who's going to set the conversation at an extremely progressive place where we have none of that now. And you may say, well, none of that's going to get past Mitch McConnell. Well, I reject that argument because that means that Mitch McConnell sets the conversation. And I reject that, right? We, the voters who will be in the majority, will set the conversation. And Bernie Sanders will set it in a progressive place and will work from there. You're in a very hopeful place, aren't you? I would expect Mitch McConnell to go back into super obstructionist mode as he was with Barack Obama. Will Bernie be able to figure out some way around that with executive orders or what have you? To some extent, sure. 
but to some extent, he'll be stymied in a similar way to Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to concede, well, Mitch McConnell's more stubborn than we are, so what can we do? Let's pick a moderate. Like, that's ridiculous. And the discussion that happened over the last week or so, I believe, around Joe Rogan was really interesting mm-hmm. to me. Because mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan. Really? Yeah. Okay. He's very problematic. Okay? Uh, that's why I'm saying you re- you listen to I him. I mean, that I listen to him is not saying I like him. I find him to you be hate very listen? dumb. I like the guests and what they say, but I find him to be very dumb. Quite often says racist things. Quite often is homophobic, sexist Transphobic, things, yeah. Transphobic. And quite often doesn't really understand that he's a Cro-Magnon sort of dude. And yet, that a guy like that is willing to support Bernie Sanders and willing to endorse Bernie Sanders suggests to me that there is more than a sliver of those who like Trump or are Trump adjacent who would say, I like that guy. I accept that guy. I would go with that guy. And so do you know what that does for me? It skeeves me the fuck out. And here's why. Because I am starting to find very little daylight between the Bernie bros and the MAGA bots. We're not electing the Bernie bros. No, no. We're We're electing Bernie. But let's be clear that it's like, what did your mother say? Oh, oh, that's right. If you (laughs) lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. Birds of a feather flock together. These sayings are sayings for a reason because they matter. So... What happens to these people, these very racist, very misogynistic, very verbally violent Bernie bros who they have anointed as their king gets into office? I'm just very curious as to what happens to our democracy when we're no longer allowed freedom of debate and conversation because of the escalation of rhetoric that turns to violence in some instances happens. I find Bernie and his lack of really strong, fiercely going against these people and saying, you know what, I will not tolerate this. You cannot wear my hat, wear my T-shirts, you know, and behave in this manner and be very aggressive about it. They've kind of been a bit dismissive to some extent. So again, like, look, America's in the midst of a death spiral. Am I going to sit on the sidelines and like not actively pull a lever and make sure that I can do whatever I can to, you know, slow the spiral, slow us from going splat? Yeah, I'm going to do that. But am I going to be jumping up and down excited about it? No. In 2016, I was repelled away from the Bernie movement because of the Bernie bros. Mm. I sort of culturally encountered them before I had dug into his message. Mm -hmm. And I was already, like, down with Hillary. Mm -hmm. And I saw them and I said, well, you know, I don't want to be at a party with them. So clearly this is not the party for me. And when I started to see Ta-Nehisi Coates and some other black folks, a few black folks who I respect, saying, like, well, I like him. And I was like, really? You like that guy? And over time I was like, oh, I do like that guy. And, I mean, the first time I saw... Bernie and Hillary debate. And I'm like, I'm with her, but I believe that he believes everything he's saying. Mm -hmm. And that is unusual for a politician. And he will Mm -hmm. say things that may hurt him. He does not care. This is the truth, and I'm going to fight this battle on the truth. Remember, there was, I believe there was a conversation that one of the reporters tried to elicit in one of the Hillary-Bernie debates about, I believe it was email. Mm -hmm. And he was like, stop it. 
That's right, silly. Right, right. We're mm-hmm. not discussing that. Mm-hmm. We're discussing the issues. Mm-hmm. And so many politicians would have found the way to make her squirm and make it look bad for her once more, even in silence. And he's like, this is dumb. We're not talking about this. And I'm like, he's super authentic and he's super honest to what he believes. And, you know, Hillary's going to say the right thing, right? Right. She's going to say what the polls tell her that she should say about said thing. And that is what got her caught up. I'm, I'm not... In this cycle, I'm not allowing my disdain for the Bernie bros mm-hmm. and all that you said that I don't disagree with. Not allowing that to keep me from a candidate supporting a candidate who seems really smart, really to have a good heart, to have a mindset that is like income inequality is one of the core problems facing this country. And we're going to attack that in the right way and not with some upside down vision of it, but understanding that the working class is getting screwed by the upper class and we're going to try to do something about that. And yeah, Elizabeth Warren is telling the same story, but her support is falling away and his is not. And that excites me far more than what Biden and Buttigieg and Bloomberg are offering. I think that if Bernie becomes a nominee and Klobuchar and one of one of the tactics that I think that he should do, which has never been done, is that I think that he should set up for the American people exactly what the big kids table is going to look like. I think that Bernie Sanders should, instead of doing this whole like, well, I got to put my transition team together. I think that he goes balls out. And shows the American people, this is my vice president. This is going to be my secretary of the interior. This is my secretary of defense. Like, literally. You mean like like, during the primary? During the, no, not during, like, if he wins, if he wins the Democratic nomination and he's going head to head against Trump. I'm going to tell you my whole cabinet, like, early in the general. I'm telling you that you have literally idiots. You have small, dumb animals running America right now, right? Like small, stupid animals. And so what I'm going to do, right, so that you feel secure, safe, that I can begin to minimize the anxiety that this administration has placed on this country and on the globe, I'm going to set up the adults table. I want you to know exactly who you're getting when you get me. Right. Do something that's never been done. No, I'm not going to have people wait 100 days for me to put in my. No, fuck that. This is my full team. This is the full lineup. This is the best of the best. And this is what you get when you line up against me. You do that. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You will get people excited. You do that, and they know who they're going to be able to trust, and they can, oh, my God, we can all sleep at night. We don't have to be glued to Twitter. We don't have to be glued to the news. I feel like he does something like that. I know. I came up with that. (laughs) (laughs) But the passion around Bernie Mm -hmm. is for him Mm -hmm. and for the candidate. And it's not necessarily going to be for those who he surrounds himself with. And Bernie supporters are more passionate about him than anybody else's supporters are about them. He's not going anywhere. He's they, a, they have he is him. a political they have him rock in, star. Right. They have him. But I'm saying for everybody else, I'm saying for the moderates, I'm saying grow. for people, I'm saying for people like myself who are not excited by him, like, let me know that I can trust you. Let me know that you are setting up like the but team what, of what, team what, 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 that is going to be able to clean everything up. I just I don't care so much much about bullshit rhetoric anymore and I don't care who it's coming from. I just want I want to know that when you roll in, this is who your secretary of state is going to be that you're sending deploying to the Middle East to go fix our relations with Iran and to go put Putin in his place. This is who I'm sending over to go and run the defense to make sure that like we put our agencies back together. Like I personally, I need to know that who is being deployed is like the Voltron of politics. So the Bernie Bros, they get their head, they get their rock star. For everybody else, Else, just give me, give me the give rest me the of the fucking menu. team. I can't even get that far because I will just be thrilled to see him defeat Biden, and finally, the Democratic Party goes home marrying a progressive, <laughs> right? Because as we said in the early days of the show, mm-hmm. so often the Democratic Party gets these moments, and we flirt with a flirt. progressive, mm-hmm. and then we go home with a nice moderate, and sometimes we win, and usually we get trounced, and. For once, we go home and marry a real progressive and say, this is my guy. I'm riding with him. That would be so exciting because I think there are enough progressives. If you excite Democrats, you will get the turnout that you need to win. It's not about getting somebody who is adjacent enough to the Republican Party to peel off some middles and some independents and some fence sitters. I don't want them. I want Democrats to be like, I am so excited by this candidate. I am so excited by what they're talking about, talking about climate, talking about income inequality, talking about the real things that progressives really care about. And I'm going to go vote for him and enthusiastically pull the lever and knock on doors and be so excited about him that it brings, I mean, like 50% of the country is not going to vote. Even despite all that Trump has done, about half of the country is going to go, eh, yeah, half of the country is just going to con you. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> God, one of my favorite things in the online Kobe morning has been to look back at the Kobe Kanye commercials. Have you seen this? Mm-mm. He did this commercial for The System, which is when he was first really getting out the Mamba mentality. And he's like this sort of super motivational speaker. And Kanye's like, how successful do you want me to be? He's like, more successful. Well, how many records do you want me to sell? More records. Like, well, how much greater can I be? And Kobe goes, but can you be a different animal and the same beast? 
and Connie goes, what the fuck does that mean, Kobe Bryant? <laughs> <laughs> and Kobe is out kanye Kanye. That's amazing. And I love it. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody-Mills. And we will be back next week to talk about Iowa because we will have a country because we got to get into this primary thing. Pray about it.